Well, good morning. My name is Sean. I'm one of your teaching elders here. And this morning we're going to be starting a new uh, series called No Comfort Zone. Our first one is going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 28, if you want to turn there in your own Bibles or in your smartphones, or it's printed for you on page 11 in the ESV translation. And boys and girls, we have a a kid's translation of that passage for you as well on page 11. We'll be referring to that a couple times in the sermon. You want to have that handy. So this new series is going to take us all the way uh, through Thanksgiving and into Advent. And we're going to to look at the various comfort zones that we as Christians kind of slip into in church world that can limit our ministry. And especially now that, that COVID has pretty much got the whole planet outside of its comfort zone thought it'd be a good idea for us to identify some of these comfort zones we have so as the Lord perhaps blesses us with a new normal we won't slip back into those same habits so what we're going to do is we're going to look at embracing suffering we're going to look at being this weird non-judgmental community we're going to look at loving and caring for creation we're going to look at honoring God with authenticity during the week And today we're going to look at loving our community even when it may hurt or even be uncomfortable. So where this passage takes place is to give you some context for Acts 28. Paul is on his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. He has done the um, equivalent of winning at the federal appellate level. And so he is now going to go before the Supreme Court and testify to Jesus or about Jesus to Caesar. Most likely, if the historical dates line up, we're talking about Nero. Not exactly the most uh, receptive of the Caesars to the Christian message, but that nevertheless is what God has told Paul is going to happen. So Paul has been arrested. He's in chains. He's going as a prisoner. He's on this ship with 276 other people. It's not a prison ship. It's just a regular ship. They're not all prisoners. Only he is probably a prisoner, maybe a couple others. And after two weeks of ridiculous weather, the ship runs aground and breaks up. But all 276 people survive. And that's right where our text picks up. So if you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as we pick up on this story in Acts chapter 28, starting verses 1. After we were safely brought through, when we then learned that the island was called Malta, the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and it was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or to suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in speech, that we might know you, that we might know your will and know more of Christ. Lord, we ask that you would indeed, by your Spirit, open this text up to us. Show us more of Jesus. Take us deeper into the cross. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. So our theme for today is this. Life often bites, but when we endure, others want to know how. And so we're going to see that when Paul steps outside of comfort to serve, it bites him. But he gives anyway, leading to God's blessing. So verses 1 through 5, we see here that Christians serve even when bitten. Okay, I want to set the stage about where we are in case you're not sure where this is. So I have a map here for you. I want you to think of here's the Mediterranean Ocean. Okay, so there's Italy in the upper right-hand corner, the boot. It's kicking that weird football-shaped island called Sicily. And then due south of Sicily is Malta, where that star is. Okay, and then we're going to zoom in on Malta now. And right there on this little bay is called St. Paul's Bay there on the island of Malta. And it's called St. Paul's Bay because traditionally this is where Paul and this shipwreck supposedly took place. So our narrative opens up on this island in that bay, and it looks like the pilot episode of that show Lost. There's all of a sudden 276 people are on this island. They survived a horrible crash, and it's a cold, rainy fall day. And the text tells us that the natives are already on the beach with bonfires, welcoming the castaways. The text says they they showed unusual kindness. The literal word there is philanthropy, a love of humanity. The natives showed this. In my mind, I see blankets, I see mugs of coffee, you know, some soup passed around, maybe some fig Pop-Tarts, I don't know. And then the ESV translates these people as natives. Again, it's actually the Greek word barbarian. Now, that word is not as much of an insult to them as it is to us to call someone a barbarian. But one Roman did not call, call another Roman barbarian. So it was definitely, these folk ain't like us. They're different. But yet, even though they were different and perhaps even looked down upon if they're being called barbarians, they still cared for this group of, unneedy, of needy people who showed up on their shores. And that's a good starting point for us when we're thinking about getting out of a comfort zone. The church is not the only good thing going on in the world. There's plenty of other good going on out there, and this text is an example. You know, many of you know I came from the church planting world, and one of the things they taught us in church planting training is when you're trying to network into a community, when you're trying to go there and establish yourself, participate, don't duplicate. And what they meant was don't go reinvent the wheel trying to figure out some way to serve your community. There's already good happening in your community by people who probably don't go to church. Join them in serving their community, and that's how you build relationships with non-Christians. And that's exactly what Paul does here. Paul was not a young man at this point in his life by any stretch. He was no less wet and cold than anybody else, and yet he helped serve his fellow castaways. He grabs a bundle of of sticks, takes them close to the fire, and as he's about to dump it in there, the heat wakes up a viper or a snake. The thing jumps out. And don't you love how dramatic and descriptive the text is? The thing grabs him on his hand, and you can see it like it's dangling from his hand. He's serving. He's doing good, and all of a sudden, he's bitten by a snake. Now, boys and girls, I've never been bitten by a snake. I hope you haven't either. And it looks like it would hurt. It sounds like it would really, really hurt. 
Now, I've never been bitten by a snake, but I've been scared by a snake. So I grew up in Wyoming, and when I was about eight, nine years old, we went hunting, and, and, and we didn't have a dog yet. And so my dad used, well, me as the dog. And so it was, you know, southeastern Wyoming. It was a cold fall day, and he's having me run up and down these rows to flush doves. And so I'm doing my job flushing doves. He's down there with the shotgun ready. And, you know, I, I distinctly remember this, eight, nine years old, running down this row, and my subconscious kind of just tings like something's wrong ahead. I stop, and then my brain kind of zooms in. And right there in front of me is, again, eight, nine years old. I don't actually know how big this thing was. But to me, this gigantic Rocky Mountain rattlesnake is right there, and it starts doing that coiling up thing. I mean, it's like four feet away from me. And it does that thing that rattlesnakes do. You know, and I'm just like freaking out right here. Snake. It's so close I can see its little slit eyes. And so I turn around over my shoulder and my dad is like so far away. And I do this little pitiful little dad. And then I look back. And this is not an adult reinterpreting. This is I distinctively remember thinking three things. It's going to bite me. I'm going to die, and it's going to hurt the whole time I'm dying. How sad is that, right? I mean, mean, counseling, trauma here. Anyway, and much sooner than should have happened for my pitiful little dad, I hear from about over here. I don't look. I'm afraid to, to, to break eye contact with a snake. I hear this very subtle, Sean, don't move, in my dad's voice. And then if you're a gun person, I hear one of the most comforting sounds in the history of humanity, the sound of a shotgun shell being chambered. You all know the sound, right? Thunderous noise, the snake explodes, and my fear is gone. I'm not going to die today. Now, we don't know Paul's thoughts. This is not a fictional story written from the third person omniscient point of view. So we don't know what Paul's thinking. But I do know Paul's trying to be a good guy here. He's serving, and now he's bitten, and he thinks he's going to die. Or at least the people around him think he's going to die. And I wonder if he thinks, it's going to hurt the whole time I'm dying too. Because like poison venom sounds not a good way. I bet he's a little scared. I bet he's a little uncomfortable. God, you promised I'm going to go testify to Caesar. You didn't say anything about a shipwreck. You didn't say anything about the snake. And now I'm bitten. How about you? You ever been bitten? Maybe not by a snake. Well, if you have, I want to hear the story. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a business transaction. Office politics. Or just good old-fashioned gossip. Being bitten stinks, doesn't it? Especially if we're right in the midst of trying to serve and help like Paul was here. He's serving one moment, and the next, everyone's gawking at him, waiting for him to die. You see, if we let people know that we're Christians, they're going to be watching us. When that inevitable bite comes, people want to see if our Christianity is real. They're asking, now that something bad has happened to you, are you going to pout and be bitter and angry just like the rest of us? Or does that Christianity thing actually give you resources? See, these guys were watching Paul really closely at this point because they knew how the universe works. I want to zoom in on verse 4. Look at me that little phrase in verse 4. It says this. It says, justice has not allowed him to live. 
Now, the ESV changed it in the most recent translation, but it used to be that the word justice there was a capital J, because in context, they're not talking about a philosophy or a principle. They're talking about a goddess, an idol, justice. You've seen her before. It's a proper name. I have a picture of her here for you. This is the goddess Justice. You've seen her on courthouses. They worshipped her as a goddess. She's got the scales. She's got the sword. And people of that culture knew. Just like you know the earth is round, they knew bad people who did bad things, she made sure they got bad stuff happened to them. Good people who did good things, she made sure good stuff happened to them. So because of that, because of her, they, re- they figured Paul out. Oh, he seems all nice and kind and good, but obviously he's a really bad man. See, in, in, in Hellenistic culture, they saw sea voyages as an opportunity for the gods to come and mess with your life. So if you, if you remember way back in school reading about, you know, the Odyssey or the Iliad, think about how every time they get on water, stuff happens, right? In their mind, you get on the water, the gods are going to mess with you, and they're like, oh, he escaped Neptune or Poseidon, depending on which language they spoke. But now justice, she got him. She sent a snake. He's a really bad guy. And they're waiting. They're waiting for him to scream out in defiance or to scream out in, for mercy. They're waiting. Why have you done this to me? A storm at sea and now this? But Paul doesn't either. Paul literally shakes it off. Don't you love how the text says he just shakes it back into the fire? He goes on serving. Oh, and he doesn't die. You know, the bites in our life, the challenges and rejections we talked about last week, how we react to those hardships shows what we really believe. You know, as, as we seek to serve our community, we are going to be bitten. It will hurt. Will we shake it off and serve anyway? Or will the bites stop us? See, the gospel can give us that kind of resolve, that, that when that relationship bites you, in the gospel you can forgive that person even though they haven't and probably will never apologize. When that business deal bites you in the gospel, you can forgive even though they have wronged you. When that person just won't stop their gossip in the gospel, you can forgive them. See, we need to remember that because God has a plan for us to take the gospel to our community. And these little bites are not going to distract us because we have the power of the gospel in us. When that bite comes, if we are bitter, if we are sullen, It's because we are actually not living in the gospel we proclaim. Now, we may not believe in the goddess justice, but we often act with a similar mindset. If I do good things, God gives me a good life. And so if I'm doing good things, like serving, and I get bitten, well, (laughs) whoa, God owes me an explanation. God owes me recompense. He better fix it. See, but in the gospel, we realize God doesn't owe us a good life. By his grace, he has forgiven us in Jesus, and he sets us free so that even when we are bitten, we can serve with freedom and joy because we have Christ, not necessarily a good life. See, the biblical pattern, if you've been around a while, if you've read the scriptures, you know that God often uses the sorrows of his people to spread his kingdom. So being uncomfortable, it's the norm. 
So that's true. Let's try on some discomfort, okay? So in the prevailing cultural narrative that we live in right now, some of you are like, well, duh. Some of you are like, no, I don't, don't say it. Christians are the bad guys. Biblical views on key issues are now what? Regressive is the word people like to use. On the wrong side of history. I don't even know what that means, but you hear that a lot. And because of that, there's a temptation, isn't there, for us to retreat and to pout. Or is that just me who reacts that way? For example, just this week, the Supreme Court nomination hearings. Okay? I don't care about the specific political issues. I'm not talking about that. That reaction was completely predictable. They, all those stories were written in advance. What was really shocking was the palpable fear and suspicion by cultural, media, and political leaders of a religious person now being on the court. And how scared and how, she, and how suspicious that is. I mean, those of us in America who take our faith very seriously, we were bitten this week. We were told by cultural leaders that people like you are the bad guys. You're, you're suspicious. You're, you're, we're not sure if you should have power. In the face of that, will we continue to serve or will we withdraw? I mean, as Christianity and other religions fade in Western culture, you do realize people don't become irreligious. They, re- they take that religious impulse and they put it onto something else. Right now, that something else is having the right views on key issues. That's a form of public righteousness now. And the bite comes if you don't hold the right views on these issues, you're unrighteous. You're treated as suspect. You're treated as dangerous. Remember that TV show Seinfeld? Loved Seinfeld. Hey, made it through college because of Seinfeld. So there's this one episode where Kramer is doing an AIDS marathon or an AIDS run, and he he's, he spent the last several weeks getting pledges and everything. He shows up to this age. He's dressed for the race. He registers. He's ready to go to earn all these pledges and make money for the cause. And they try to give him the ribbon, and he doesn't want to wear the ribbon. And I love how the writers of the show never let you know his motivations. He's like, I don't want the ribbon. I'm fine. And all of a sudden, he is swarmed by people wearing the ribbon. And I love how they did this. You can tell by the way they're dressed, they are not running the race. But they're wearing the ribbon. And all of a sudden, he is swarmed, and he is castigated. He is made fun of. He is made, you know, everybody loves to pronounce woe upon the malefactors, right? And so they are pronouncing woe. The only person in the group actually doing something is being castigated as unrighteous because he won't wear the symbol of the thing. Brilliant piece of writing and cultural commentary. Because, dear Christian, as the symbols of righteousness in our culture become increasingly unbiblical, as we are not going to be able to take up those symbols, we will increasingly be deemed the immoral. We've got a lot of bites ahead of us. But we stand firm on the righteousness of Jesus given to us in the gospel. And in that confidence, we can be bitten and still serve. So Christians serve. In verses 6 through 9, we also see that Christians give, even when it's uncomfortable. So everybody's gathered around. They're watching Paul. They're expecting him to die. And they think all of a sudden, whoa, Lady Justice spared him. Well, he must be one of the gods. Because again, they knew as a bedrock reality that the universe operated by strict justice. 
that she was large and in charge. And so when she didn't smite somebody, the explanation was, oh, she's messing with us now. She must be, he must be one of them. Because most people operate out of a justice mindset. Maybe we can call it karma today. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get, get, you get bad. And I love the fact that it doesn't matter whether it's justice, doesn't matter whether it's karma, doesn't matter whether it's ancient Malta or modern Virginia. People who operate out of that mindset are messed up by mercy and grace. They have no concept of it. And when they see it in action, it totally messes them up, which gives us a great opportunity for the gospel. So Marty has gotten me into this show called Ted Lasso. And the whole setup of Ted Lasso is this. He is put into a very uncomfortable situation, like completely erases his comfort zone. He is just dropped into the, nothing is familiar, nothing at all. Everything's uncomfortable. And at every opportunity, he is bitten. The whole show, that's it. A man who's uncomfortable and being bitten all the time. And in every instance, he responds with legitimate kindness and grace. Every time. And it messes people up for the better. It's one of the most redemptive shows on television. It's crazy. And we know from other testimony in the book of Acts that being called a god was very uncomfortable for Paul. In fact, the two other occasions it happened, they immediately start trying to worship him. So Paul has to rebuke him, and he has to deny him, and he has to like hurt their feelings and then try to fix it later. But here they're not trying to worship him, so he, he uses this opportunity to further the gospel, the rest of the passage tells us. Again, this is all indirect evidence, but the rest of the story from verse 10 and 11 shows us that good things happen. And we know from previous testimony, Paul's a preacher. So you give him an opportunity to talk about real issues by calling him a god, you're probably going to hear about Jesus. So they show themselves to be very aware of justice. And so Paul probably points out, hey, I'm not a god, but since you brought it up, let's talk about justice. Let's talk about serpents. Let's talk about death. Because Paul knew that most people live out of a justice or a karma mindset. Why? Because they are guilty before the holy. And something does have to be done about it. For our culture, if righteousness comes from holding the right views, then what do we do to cover our own guilt? We express outrage at those holding the wrong view. And here is where we Christians have to mind our comfort zone. I don't like being on the receiving end of outrage. When I'm bitten by someone's outrage, my impulse is to withdraw into Fort Church. But the gospel empowers me rather to press in and serve in spite of being bitten. Because in the gospel, I understand, oh, outrage feel, uh, fills a need for people to feel as if they matter in a culture that tells them they don't. See, in the gospel, we're free to serve, and so we can remember, oh, people express outrage because they're bitten. I mean, if the Bible is true, if what most of us have dedicated our lives to, if it's true, then everyone is bitten and dying from poison. They have no hope in their own good works, they can't serve enough to overcome their guilt. They can't earn enough. They can't be successful enough. They can't have enough outrage to make justice go in their favor. But there is a creator God who's made a way. Maybe Paul told these barbarians something like, you think I'm a God? I'm not. But your instincts are correct. God did walk among you in the person of Jesus. 
And this person of Jesus lived the life you should have lived to appease justice and save you from her. He died the death you should have died at justice's hands to deliver you from guilt's bite. And then in his resurrection, he destroyed death so you will no longer be harassed by the viper of death. I wasn't there. The text doesn't tell us, but it sounds very Pauline. How do you talk to people who are stuck in justice? Well, after the castaways warm up on the beach, they go to the big man's house there on Malta. Paul hears about this man upstairs being very upset. Turns out it's the guy's dad. So boys and girls, I haven't talked to you in a while. Have you ever had a really bad bellyache? I mean like a really bad bellyache, like the kind where you just feel super sick. Perhaps you have to spend more time in the bathroom than you really want to. That's what this guy's going through. It's a real disease. It's called Malta fever. It's basically the Mediterranean version of Montezuma's Revenge. Um, If you go to Malta today and you drink raw goat's milk, you'll get it, and you can tell us what it's like. So, So Paul hears about this poor guy, and what does he do? Look with me at verse 8. What does Paul do when he sees someone who's sick? He says, what Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him healed him. Why does Paul do this? Because Paul gets the full-orbed gospel. See, for Paul, the gospel more is more than just getting people saved. The gospel is about God purging the effects of sin from all of creation. So, sickness, death, poison, dying, those things are not supposed to be. They're invaders. And God has commissioned his people through the gospel to go into the world and spread his kingdom of life against the enemy of darkness and death. See, biblical Christianity can't ignore practical, tangible expressions of our captivity to sin. So things like poverty, racism, sexism, crime, injustice. Christians can absolutely disagree on the earthly solutions to those things, of course. But Christians can't disagree on the fact that the Bible says those things should not be. And that one day, someday, they will not be. And that's why Paul engages in a ministry of healing, because God's people are bothered by the things that bother God. You know, in the book of Revelation, which simply means to the revealing It's not some magical thing. It just means to reveal. When God a couple times shows his dream for humanity, the world that he's bringing about one day, someday, it's a a sinless society where none of those things exist. Do you believe God cares about the physical like that? About the practical dimension of our lives? You see, Paul sees it as his mission to help in the physical realm. He sees people harassed by the ravages of sin and sickness. And he wants to do something about it. I think it's very interesting that this passage has no record of him preaching at all. It's just a healing. It's just a physical service ministry. And yet it has incredible fruit. And for many of us, that's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? And don't forget this. When I I realized this, it's like changed everything for me. Don't forget, Paul was not on a mission to Malta. This was a detour. He was commissioned and he was going to go preach the gospel before Caesar in Rome. Malta was out of his way. And yet, 
He served. Why? Because he was there and Malta had a need. Oh, Sycamore. And our, our community has needs, and I have been so impressed at how y'all have stepped up. You guys aren't here during the week, so you don't get to know this like I do. I get to see it. People from our community are in Sycamore Park all the time. It's beautiful to see. I'm so impressed that this church looked around, saw there were no parks around here, and said, you know what, let's build one for the community. And that's some, that's some non-traditional outreach right there. And I wasn't here but I bet it didn't happen without some disagreement, without pushing some people's comfort zones. You want to spend money on what? That is saying no to a comfort zone. Well done. And we need more of that, dear flock, as our culture changes. Because as America looks more and more like Rome and Malta and less and less like Mayberry, our discomfort at that cultural change can cause us to see non-Christians as adversaries. As those who are out to destroy America as barbarians. At least that's in my heart. I, I bet I'm not alone. But that's not what Paul did. Paul looked at these people through the eyes of the gospel. They weren't pagans. They weren't barbarians. They weren't unbelievers. They weren't adversaries. They were pre-believers in need of help. And so he lived among them. He loved them. He brought them healing by the grace of God and the gospel. See, getting out of our comfort zone to give even when it's uncomfortable is how we love our community because Christians give. And the final thing we see in verse 10 is that God blesses beyond expectation. So this text tells us that they stayed for three months, and in that time, Paul planted an ongoing church on Malta. It began with a snake bite, and it ended with a church God blessed it beyond their imagination. In fact, church tradition tells us that the first bishop or pastor of the church at Malta was our friend Publius from verse 7. And then in verse 10, it tells us at the end of this what happened. They honored us greatly. After three months, the rest of the passage tells us after three months of this mission, they held them in the highest honor. They were so grateful Paul had been there. There's a challenge for us right there. In our various places in the community, in the various spheres of influence we have, would they give us the highest honors? Not because we're so great, but because God has used us for their good. So that they say, I'm so glad those people are here. A fellow pastor put it this way. He goes, my goal is that the city government would look at our church and say, I hope they never close down because we'd have to raise taxes to do what they're doing for us for free. That's the challenge in this text. That we get out of our comfort zone. We step into the unknown. We risk being bitten to serve our community through the gospel. Maybe that needs to be a bit bigger for you. Okay? Let, me, let, me t- let me try a different tack. Do you want your culture to hear you again? Do you want to be an influence in the direction of the country? Then serve. But understand, this is the time of biting in America. Christianity is being more and more marginalized, and we are going to be bitten, and our reaction will show what we really believe. It's not going to be easy. We'll have to get out of our comfort zones. But God will bless it beyond what we can imagine. Because Christians serve even when bitten. 
Christians give even when it's uncomfortable, and God blesses beyond our expectation when we trust him. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this challenging word. Lord, we thank you for this picture of being hurt even when doing good and you using that. Father, I don't like to suffer. I don't like for it to, be, to have pain. Lord, would you help me to be willing to get out of my comfort zone and to serve even where it hurts? Would you help us, Lord, to serve Sycamore well because you've put us here? Would you, would you help us to serve our community, Lord? Would you give us the privilege of being used to change Midlothian and Powhatan and Richmond and Virginia by your gospel, even when it hurts. I pray you would do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.